theyeshiva.net. Page Lamed Ches Amad Aleph or page 75. 11 lines from the bottom. Talking about mindfulness, right? The ability to think. When a person immerses, Yamik is from the word Oymek, depth. When a person deep goes deep in his mind into this meditation. Or similar meditations. Memela. The result of this is that Yispardu Kalpoyale Oven Pchinis Harasha Benavsha. Yispardu Kalpoyale is a Pasuk in Tehillim. Kalpoyale Oven, those who uh, represents the negativity, the toxicity. Workers of iniquity. Huh? Iniquity. Workers of iniquity. Workers of iniquity, right. Poyale Oven. They scatter, they separate. Yispardu Kalpoyale Oven. Workers of iniquity. Scatter. Nothing like good old English, right? Pchines harasha benavshay. We're talking in the, the, the ra, the fragmentation, ra, the fragmentation in a person's soul. Because as we said, ra doesn't necessarily mean evil. It could mean also evil as bad negativity. But ra begins with the Pasuk in Kehelis, ru'us, ruach. I saw everything under the sun. Shlaim HaMalach says, hakel hevel, ru'us, ruach. It's all vanity. Uru'us ruach, it's broken spirited, meaning it's fragmented, it's not cohesive. So the person challenges and eliminates the ra, the brokenness in his soul. Biyoiz, because harava sitra achira ein lehem chius klal mitzad atzma. All negativity and all sitra achira, sitra achira means the other side, which is the euphemism for the other side that's not kedusha. They don't have chayas klal mitzad atzmo. They don't have chayus, vitality on their own. Zulus shemekablim chayusa me'achirayim de kedusha. Their chayus comes from what they receive through kedusha, and they receive it through the achirayim, which means, so to speak, through the hind part of kedusha. Not graciously, not this, I give you something, you know, looking at you, and then something I throw, I throw over my back. That's called pchines achirayim. There's an expression in, in Chazal Kamande Shadi Basar Kasvoy. You throw it over your shoulder because you don't want to look at it. So Achirayim de Kedusha means it comes from, so to speak, the back of Kedusha. When the person violates or transgresses one of the 365, so what it creates is it creates a leak. It creates a leak. It enables part of his energy to go to places and feed, feed the sharks, feed the crocodiles, so to speak. So therefore, Sitra Achara has an essential subservience, a bitl, in the presence of Gdusha, just like darkness has in the presence of light. There's never a battle between darkness and light. The battle is before you put on the light. Once you put on the light, it's not like the light is battling the darkness. The darkness immediately gets dispelled in the presence of light. So you have a pitch dark room, it's middle of the night, it's pitch pitch dark. And you light a match, you light a candle, or today you'll put on the light. So what happens? It's not like the Chayshech says, no, I'm not leaving. Who are you? Who are you? Why should I leave? You should leave for me. That doesn't happen. I'm talking Pashtun Gashmis. That's the mushal he's giving. Why not? The reason is because when the oil gets ignited... The Chayshech is immediately dispelled, automatically, memela. there's no battle. What's the Havana? The Havana is 
The definition of darkness is the absence of light. Understand this. It's not that darkness has its own entity or identity. The defin- I mean, there is a machlekes or a shaynim about this, what the definition of chayshev is by the, by the philosophers among the Jews. But here he's naked. Here he's following the idea that darkness, the definition of darkness is absence of light. So if that's the definition of darkness, it doesn't have any other definition but the fact that there's no light. So therefore, when there is light, the darkness is immediately dispelled. If darkness was an entity, a self-contained entity, that was opposite to light. So now the two battle each other. They wrestle each other. The question is, who's going to win? The darkness or the light? But if the whole definition of darkness is that there's no light, that's what darkness is. It's a void, essentially. It's feeding off a void. The moment there's light, automatically there's no darkness. It's not like you're battling. There's nothing to battle. All you're battling is when there was no light, when the, the home at Seas was because there was no light. So as long as there's no light, that's where darkness gets its existence from. The moment the light comes in, it's gone. This is the metaphor he's using also for the human soul. A person has a lot of darkness in him. But the real... Huh? Well, the nefesh alakiz is not chayshach. No. It's alakos, it's kedusha. Kedusha here is a metaphor for ayr, and ra is a metaphor for chayshach. So it's not fragmented that, that right. 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 So what happens? What happens is when there's a void, when there's a lack of light, so that's when the Choshech exists very powerfully. And it could be very, very powerful. But what is its power? It's not that it has really an independent Metzius. Just like Choshech, in the presence of Oyr, it's automatically gone. Because what do you want should be here? All that was here was the absence of light. There's no absence of light, it's gone. The same is true, Sitra Achir, in the presence of Gdusha. It has no chance to win. Why does it have no chance to win? Because it doesn't really have independent power. It's not an independent force. All the identity, all the chayas it has is from Kedusha. Because all the chayas that it has is from Kedusha, so therefore whenever there's a real competition between Kedusha and not Kedusha, Kedusha is going to win, just like Oy will always prevail over the Choshech. And the reason Oy will prevail over the Choshech is because the Choshech has no Hope legabi the air because its whole metzius was just absence of air, and that's why he's saying that the whole metzius of Sitra Achira only comes because there's a chayis of kedusha. It's a chayis that it gets from kedusha. It doesn't have its own identity. Elamai, it appears like it appears to be very very powerful, but really its entire existence is only a distorted form of holiness. That's what it is. Its holiness being used, being leaked, being distorted, being manipulated. But it's always a chayas from Kedusha because there's no other source of life and vitality outside of it. So that's why in the presence of real, real Kedusha, Sitra Achira will not have real substance. Why? Because it doesn't have substance outside of Kedusha. Its whole substance is coming from Kedusha. So therefore it doesn't have a, a, a chance to prevail over Kedusha essentially. And the reason is because even though apparently... It gives off an illusion of grandeur and power, but really, with a genuine light, it melts. So, is, it, is the darkness real? Like, the boogeyman? That's his point. The boogeyman seems very, very real. We know that. And it can uh, wreak havoc to, wreak havoc to him. <laughs> right? Because 
havoc is not created only from real things. Havoc is created from things that appear real. They can they can wreak the same havoc. The fact that it appears real. How much? How often are people stopped by fear? How real is that fear? People are afraid to talk to somebody about somebody something. How real is it? When they challenge the friend, they talk to him about it, they say it wasn't even a big deal. Hey, that was easy. But sometimes you build up a fear in your mind for five years, and it becomes real. What makes it real? Your thought of it being real makes it real. What makes darkness real? Your decision that it's real, that makes it real. The moment you realize, for real, (laughs) pun intended, that it's not real, then it's not real anymore. Because it's not real. What makes it real is that you're giving it validity, you're giving it significance, you're giving it power. That is what makes it. I'm not sure that Roosevelt saw this mimer when he said there's nothing to fear but fear itself. But that's really the concept. In other words, the most paralyzing element about fear is the fear. That is what you have to fear. Is there a connection between darkness and evil? Yes, that's the clear, that's the clear connection here. The Ran, the Choshecher are synonymous. Now, we all know that evil is quite real. And it wreaked havoc in society and civilization for what? 5,776 years. From the day of creation, you know. One brother killed his other brother. So when he says here that Choshech doesn't have a Metzius because it gets its Chiz from Setracher, this doesn't mean that people don't take it seriously. It doesn't mean it doesn't have power. Stalin had a lot of power. And ISIS, unfortunately, is yielding some power too. In Machshamah. But what's the Vart? The Vart is essentially there's no real substance. The person may give a tremendous substance and become completely swallowed up by it, just like the darkness may completely dominate my life, and the fear may completely overwhelm me. So is the boogeyman real? You have to answer the question. If you say it's real, it's very real. If you realize it's not real, it's feeding off the absence of light, Bring in light and it'll be gone. Just like a person comes into the room and says, there's no way I can deal with this room. It's dark, 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 dark. They're right. I don't think the word's real. I think it's power over you. Okay. Better. Does it have power over you? How much substantial power does it have? So that's what he's saying with the Nefesh Shalakis and the Nefesh Bahamas. When a person really introduces God to the animal soul, the Nefesh Bahamas is there. It's present. It's just like introducing light into a dark room. There's no real battle here. Now, we have to understand what this means. If a person is in the middle of a tremendous impulsive, uh, middle of a tremendous impulsive taiva episode, very good. So they may not completely be in this position because they're just, they're not functioning. They're not functional. person is in the middle of an episode, right? Huh? They're completely consumed. This, this is, he's talking about, you need mindfulness for this. That's why he's focusing on davening here. Once I'm already in the midst of the episode, now hopefully you've got to do whatever you've got to do just to stop, to control yourself if you could, or you need somebody else's help. But the point here is, in other words, the darkness cons- consumes you to a point that you're already, it becomes so realistic. Like people have, you know, sometimes very deep mental challenges where, where fiction becomes more uh, real than reality. So you're going to start telling him, oh, it's fiction, it's not real. 
and the fact that you think is real, it's real, that's, that, that's as real as it gets in terms of its impact on you. You know, I can decide you're in the room. You know, you're dealing with... I mean, extreme cases, you talk about schizophrenia, you talk about uh, bipolar disorder. I mean, you have situations where, you know, a person's... Sadly, but their, their chemical makeup is in a sense that, that, that fiction is reality. So you're going to come and tell them, oh, this is fiction, this is reality. You have to understand the matzav you're dealing with. But he's building this on when your mamik with this is bonus, what I just said to you, the Bekol Makam Shatom, what's a Guloso, Shamatam, what's a Venoso. The Kayotzebo. I think there's a few Nekudas. One Nekudas is he started off with Atamachayas Kula. That everything's Chayas is from him. So therefore, Sitra Achere can't have real competing substance because their very ability to oppose also comes from him. So how much are they really opposing him? <laughs> you understand? If your very life force that's allowing you to oppose me is also coming from me, so your opposition is also part of me. So I can't take you that seriously <laughs> because you're not a real contrasting force because the contrast itself is, is like a setup. It's coming from me. So when a person could truly realize that, so then it's like Choshet in the presence of Ur. The only reason is that... It, it doesn't speak its truth that its whole etzias is really just a uh, form of kedusha being manipulated and distorted. So therefore, it's not a real opposition. It's not a real contrast because all it is, its whole identity is also from kedusha. Even its ability to oppose kedusha comes from kedusha. So therefore, it's another form of kedusha. So it doesn't have a real, real substance that's fighting with kedusha. That's the first part. And then there's the, the next word, that there is nothing that can really, that there's nothing that can really uh, become a hefsek, become, it adds, that there's nothing that can be a hefsek and a partition. And then there's what you said, what did you say? That the tzimtzum itself, what? I think that's a third point. And that is, that that creation was an act of anova. And what is Anova? Anova, as we spoke, is self-suspension, the ability to create space, the ability to create a void. So that's the plot of creation. If that's the plot of creation, it means the definition of existence, even on the highest level, is confronting a void, always. That's the definition of life. The definition of life is to face empty space, to face a vacuum, which some would call an existential vacuum. In other words... If you go back to the origin of life, you're facing what seems like a black hole. And that could get very, very uh, scary. On the other hand, when you realize that that is essential to the plot of creation, even in the highest, most sublime level, there was a tzimtzum. In other words, the infinity withdrew itself and created an empty space where creation can exist. That's the idea of tzimtzum that Arizal postulates. So that means that even the greatest tzaddik, the most spiritual soul, even the highest malachim and neshamas in the highest worlds, they're all post-symptom realities. So therefore, on any level where a person exists, the definition of life is confronting darkness, confronting emptiness, confronting a void, facing it, and looking at the void and saying, I'm going to transform this void into light because I know that this void itself contains within itself the presence or the me- meaning and purpose. It's, the, it's God's plan in creation. Because without this void, actually, there would be no I. So 
life, even in its most sublime interpretation, is always confront, confronting a struggle. What struggle? That there's an essential void. Now, the, the value of this idea is everyone is facing a void. The question is what your void is. But everybody faces a void. All bad habits and addictions are fueled by void. All dysfunctional behavior are fueled by void. We have a void that we have to fill. If I wouldn't have a void that I have to fill, you know, I wouldn't do... A lot of things we do is in order to, to fill a void. Are we conscious of it or not is a separate question, but, but you could be pretty conscious of it. And the void is on so many different levels, you know, financial, psychological, emotional, mental, spiritual, sociological, whatever, familial issues, but there's a void. The ability here, what we're saying is that uh, as you trace back life and you climb the ladder, so to speak, up to the highest states of consciousness, you will also have to confront the void. You will have to confront the ultimate, ultimate void. And the ultimate void is, what we call gedula, is really on Vasnusai. And when the soul faces that emptiness, that empty space, it's very, very scary. It's very, very powerfully scary. Nonetheless, the truth is that the void is not a void in and of itself. What is it? It's like Chayshech. The lack of Oyr is what creates the Chayshech. In other words, it's not that it has essential, independent, independent power. It's waiting, it's inviting you to bring in, to bring in light. To bring in light. So these people try to transcend themselves. They try, you know, do the not in the Buddhist way. It seems like they're making the void more. They they fall in. They fall into the void. Okay. Okay. It seems it's going opposite the purpose of that. Yeah. Yeah. Why are they so unequal? Why why is the symptoms seem to be so equal to? I mean, it's so unequal between people. If somebody has a much deeper void than others, if the whole creation was... That's a wonderful question. Why for some people is the void so much more acute than others? You want to know why there's happy-go-luckies? And then there's others who experience the void. I think it really has to do a lot with your shayrish hanashama, um, with the source of your soul, because usually... People who suffer from voids, deeper voids, are far more spiritually sensitive. Which is why uh, the expression, I mean, from my experience over the years, I could tell you, whenever I met people who suffered from terrible, terrible addictions, <coughs> and I've met quite a few, usually it comes with a very profound spiritual sense. That it's, that it's unique. It's unique. It's more exaggerated than in other people. And I realized over the years that it's Habba Hatalia. Because if you have a deep spiritual sense to satiate it, you need much more than other people. You can't just get away with Sunday afternoon barbecue. You know, it's good. Sunday afternoon barbecue is good, but it's not going to do the trick for you. It's not going to do the trick. And uh, you need much, much more. You need to um, satiate a lot of a deeper sense. And when you're not satiating it, you become much more frustrated, much more annoyed, much more depressed, yeah, much more sad. So they have, ah? In a way, yeah. In other words, to put it simply, they are simply, They're more sensitive to the original symptom. The more you're sensitive to the original symptom, the, the harder life could get. 
because you're not just oblivious. And the min hameitzah karasi yutke, anani bamerchav yutke. And I would say generally Jews have this in a very, very acute way. There is a streak of, uh, of, of a deep void in the Jewish people. There's no question. Uh, Alderich, Alderich. I think I once gave a metaphor. Imagine if Mozart would have grown up in a home without a piano. What would have happened? Thank God he didn't. He grew up in a home with a piano. <laughs> it was wonderful for humanity. But let's say he grew up in a home without a piano. The genius wouldn't go away. But what would be the outlet? <laughs> there would be no piano. He had a piano. <laughs> they say that somebody once came to him and uh, said, uh, you know, he wants his child to become a musician, a pianist. At what age uh, should he start teaching? So, uh, so he said, no, maybe eight, nine. He says, they say that you started at two or three. He says, yeah, but I didn't ask. <laughs> you know, you're asking, is it ready? <laughs> I didn't ask, that's the point. It was, it was for my soul, it was organic. So let's say there wouldn't be a piano. The genius would be there, but the outlet wouldn't be there. So we would, it would have to go somewhere. Genius expresses itself. What would be the outlet? It's a revolutionary power. So when you have an outlet that could harness and contain such talent, it enriches humanity. What if you don't have such an outlet? It's going to go somewhere. It's going to leak somewhere. It's going to come out. A dam, you know, you put up a dam, there's a waterfall. You go to the Niagara Falls, right? You could put up a dam, you're going to stop the water, but at some point it's going to break through. The question is where it's going to go and how it's going to be effective. How it's going to be effective. In many ways, I would say... I would say in a general way, on a, on a deeper spiritual level, that Jews without Torah, and I'm speaking about Torah in the true ultimate calling of Torah, including the spiritual universal mission statement of Torah, not just Torah in a few dikduke halacha. A Jew without Torah is Mozart without a piano. Which is why you will see that in most revolutionary movements over the last century or two that we know about, you'll see a disproportionate amount of Jews involved in it. Very unique. Even today in America, 30% of Buddhists in America are Jewish. 30%. We're not 2% or maybe 2% of America. 70% of leaders of new age groups. 70%, 50% of members. These are crazy numbers. Most revolutions, any revolution you'll see, you'll see Jews in the 1960s, the literally leaders, and really we're not even a quarter of 1% of humanity, so the disproportionateness is staggering. What is it? It's that every Jew feels deep down something that his job is to change the world. Every Jew is like a, has a, what's called a Mashiach complex, a Messiah complex. Every Jewish mother by osmosis tells her child either be Messiah or bring Messiah. In other words, there's no mediocrity there is a very deep sense that uh, the status quo is not good. Just give me a, 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 a canoe and put me at a lake in Long Island for 60 years, it's not going to work. It's not going to work, you know, with, 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 with some lettuce and kale. There's some, some, some transcendental yearning and aspiration that comes from a sensitivity to the fact that there's a very essential void behind existence. 
So there's a need or a yearning to, to overthrow the status quo, to transform the world, to change the world. It comes from a very deep spirituality. Very, very deep spirituality. But to satiate that, you need a big piano. <laughs> you need a piano. Essentially, you know, there's something called a 12-step program for recovery. But Jews have a 613-step program for recovery. Why? Because our addictions are far more serious. So God knew that to keep Jews normal, you've got to give them 613-step program for recovery. Because when you're dealing with insanity, you can make a regular schedule. Insanity requires insane schedules. You ever think about shaking lulavim on, on sukkahs and blowing ram's horns on Rosh Hashanah and wrapping black straps and taking your daily blood pressure? What, what is this all? If you read Shulchan Aruch and you don't, under, you don't understand the spiritual background, it's very strange, it's very archaic. Those who grew up religious are used to it, but anybody from the outside, you hear it, you see it, you read it, it's like, especially the Dikdukim, you know, the Bamedvarim Amurims in Shulchan Aruch. It's like, first of all, relax. Relax. And what? You're dealing with Schitta on Shabbos, you know, ringing out what, I mean, it's like, it becomes a little strange. It's very hard to be sophisticated in a profound way and really internalize this. I'm not talking about indoctrination. That always works for some people. But to really get it, um, uh, what always took me about the Balatanya was that the same seriousness with which he writes about these stuff, he writes his Shulchan Aruch, his Kuntus Acherens, that are brilliant to pull him in the Kedukim of Halacha, you know, Pshat Nataz and Magen Avram and Arajba and Atoisvus, and I always try to understand how did he synthesize, like what did he see? So the truth is that it's very, without understanding the core of Yiddishkeit and its real universal power, it's very hard to combine the two. Some are, by definition, they love halacha because it gives structure to their life. They love structure and they don't like transcendence. And some people are drawn to transcendence and mysticism and they're allergic to halacha. You know, you have sometimes you make a chavrusa with somebody halacha and they go crazy. They just, you know, they rather kill, kill themselves. And other people, fakert, you start talking about ruchnis, like, just leave me alone. Tell me what to do. <laughs> they just want to be told what to do. And it's not an easy synthesis. It's two different types of souls. Really, it's two different types of souls. You even see sometimes, you know, people who become bali tshuva, like where they gravitate to. Some love communities where you're, just, you're told what to do. It's a security, especially if you're OCD, it's very good. Because halach is wonderful. It's mantrishma, it's mantfila. You're in, you're out. Nobody stays an extra minute in shul, especially those shuls you don't stay an extra minute. The sermon is six and a half minutes. So it's really, it works, it works. On the other hand, other people, you know, are spontaneous bohemian artists and, and they can't contain themselves in anything and they love this transcendent, they want to be high. But both are grabbing on to part of the truth, not the whole truth. So, so the truth is that... Uh, that uh, you know Mozart without a piano would have been would have been a disaster because you be able you have to be able to have that piano as an outlet. So really, halacha is a very spiritual structure, very spiritual. But to understand the spiritual structure of halacha, you have to understand the world in a very very broad way. When you understand the world in a very broad way, including the spirituality of the universe, then you really see that every diktuk halacha is really facilitating another streak of the soul. It's really an outlet for a very deep yearning that the soul has, whether it's the Lulav on Yom Tif, uh, the Sheikh Rabbi Yashabar Salavechik has a sefer called Isha Halacha. 
the halachic man. He contrasts the halachic man from the mystical man. So he has a story there. He says that his, remember the story, he had a, his father was Reb Moshe Soloveitchik. He was the Rav of Chaslavich. Chaslavich is a little town in Russia. The paradox was the Rav was a Soloveitchik who came from the Litvish uh, aristocracy, the Soloveitchiks. It's the family of Reb Chaim Valazhina, who was the Talmud Muvik of the Vilna Gaon. But most, member, most citizens of Chaslavich were Chassidim. So Reb Moshe Soloveitchik, you know, they, it, wasn't, uh, it was an interesting experience. Reb Yashabar said that his, his teacher, who was eight years old, taught him Tanya. Uh, Tanya in class, his father got very upset. Reb Moshe got very upset. But he credited his teacher with explaining to him what Yiddish, giving him the essence of Yiddishkeit. Very interesting stuff he said about it. But I want to tell you one thing he says. It was Rosh Hashanah. And his father was the Rav, and he was standing on the Bima. And the Chassid, the, the Baltikeye, he says, was a Chassid. And he knew very well the Kutatayra. And Rosh Hashanah, the Kutatayra, the Balatanya is very intense about what Shoifer is. Shoifer is basically Min Hametzar, it's the narrowness, which is post Simpson. And the Merchav is pre Simpson, the broadness. So Shoifer is trying to get out from the place of Anava, from the small straits, the place of Merchav. So he says, the Baltikeya, as he takes the Shoifer, he starts saying the Psukim, he starts crying. He starts crying on the Bima. So he says, his father is a brisker, a Merchus Alverb Chaim's oldest son. So his father says, Was meinst du? Was meinst du? By lula veinst du oich? When you shake the lula, you're crying, Sa mitzvah! To the mitzvah! Rachmana amar tiku. The Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, Lama toikin, Amar Rebabah, Lama toikin by Rosh Hashanah. Why do we blow shoifah in Rosh Hashanah with an ayel? Frank the Gemara, Lama toikin, Rachmana amar tiku. Because the Torah says to blow. So the Gemara says, the question is, why a ram? The title says blow. What are you crying? The mitzvah to blow. What are you crying? By lulav you don't cry. By shofar you don't cry. He's saying here you have the contrast of two worlds. He says for him shofar was representing also. And he was saying no. God says do it. Do it. Right. So the synthesis between the two is, is, is a complex one. So the real nekuda here is that halacha is the outlet. Torah generally is the piano for a very, very deep streak of uh, transcendence that the Jew has to face that void, it's really, if you don't feel the void, it's very hard to learn Shulchan Aruch. I always tell the Bachram, you can't learn Taisvis if you're not bothered by the question of Taisvis. You don't deserve to learn it. It's going to be a waste of time. If you didn't have the question on Rashi, then don't learn Taisvis, because if there's nothing bothering you, go further. Because you're not gonna, it's going to drive you crazy. It's a big mistake when they teach boys Toysavis and they don't have the question of Toysavis themselves. They're driving them crazy. If you don't have the question, you don't deserve to have the answer. Not because you're bad, because it's not going to do anything for you. It's going to waste your time. If the Gemara works for you, so either you're not thinking, whatever, so go, do, cover. You can't put, you can't force people to be beyond who they are. You have to let them be who they are. If you don't understand the void, you can't understand the response to the void. You understand? Judaism is a response to the void. It's answering a question. If you don't have the question, so then why are you driving me crazy? So sometimes we have the answers. Today we have the answers, but we forgot the question. People say we need answers today. We don't need answers today. We have too many. We need to remind people that there's a question. And the answer came to answer a question. So the point is that Sitra Achara to Kedusha is like darkness and light. In the presence of light, darkness dissipates without even an intense battle or struggle.
And the reason is because there's no substantial opposition. All there is is a void. And therefore, the only power it has is the power that we give it. And the moment a person brings in light into his life, the Tchayshach is gone. Yeah. So, so that sometimes a person has to know what they're dealing with. In other words, are you dealing with real opposition or are you just dealing with a void? You know, sometimes the Eitzah Pashat is that a person is empty. And when they're empty, so then uh, when there's no light, there's darkness. So they take the darkness very seriously and they build it, they make from it Pissim and Ramses, and they turn it into this massive, massive, powerful entity. But really doesn't have an entity. Its whole entity is because there's no light. And when you bring in light... It's gone. So that's sometimes a very important idea that uh, the whole, what you're missing is just emptiness. It's just, what, that's the problem. The problem is that it's empty. And the moment, uh, you know, the Gemara says, uh, the, the Pasuk says they threw Yosef into a boy. So the Pasuk says in Vayeshev, Haboy reik aim boy mayim. So the Gemara says in Meseches Shabbos, the second Perik, it says Haboy reik, we know aim boy mayim. If it's empty, there's no water. So the Gemara famously says, there's no water, there was no water, but there was something else. It wasn't, it says it was emptied without water, because it wasn't completely empty. It was So the Shaila is, why does the Torah have to say, right, and then you say, so what do you tell me, the void is empty, and then you have to say, there's no Mayim, but the you could just say it's a boy with a chashav akrava. What do you have to make this whole negative? And then from there we have a drasha. So there's a word that's brought that it's that's what the pasuk is trying to say. When the boy is empty without water, b'meilim a chashav akravim yeshboy. So to speak, spiritually speaking, sometimes the whole reason there's scorpions and snakes is only because the boy is empty. If the boy would be full, automatically there would be no nechashav akrav. The boy is empty, so automatically it becomes attractive. From the Chashem Vakravim, because wherever there's no air, the Chashem uh, is present. So then is it enough just to bring air, or then you have to have, then you have to really. Right. Right. So that's, that's, that, that's, uh, so that's probably totally in different situations, you know. Sometimes there's nothing to battle. All you need is, you need air in your life. Sometimes it assumes such a powerful entity that you need to. Uh, well, this was the machloekah between Beishamay and Beishilol that we spoke about in Ketzad Merakt and Lifnei Hakala. Beishamay said, you got to first get rid of the Choshech. And Beishilol said, no, just fill it up with oil and automatically the Choshech will be dispelled. Right, right. Do you start with Sumerah only or you could start with Asetav? So now he continues, However, it's not enough for a person just to be mafrid ralavat, just to separate it, to quarantine it. In other words, to be able to distinguish between Taiver now, which is in itself a very powerful tool. To be able to know what is the Taiver in you and what is the Ra in you, and not to confuse one with the other. But there's even a deeper avoid, and that is to obliterate it completely. There is to be mafrid it, and mafrid itself is an important thing. That's like boirer, you separate the positive from the negative, the healthy from the unhealthy, the functional from the dysfunctional, and you know what in your system comes from where. That itself is a very meaningful endeavor. When a person could, be, could say this, could know that this is coming from a particular place in me, so I may not be able to get rid of it, but at least I could identify it. And that's a critical issue. When a person 
doesn't necessarily have the ability to conquer or obliterate or eliminate something, but at least they can identify it. They can identify and say, this comes from a particular issue in me, and I don't want that this issue should be the ruler of my life, the absolute ruler of my life. That in itself, that's called hafrada. The ability to make mental distinctions and say, this is coming from here and this is coming from there, that's fine. So for example, let's say a person feels rage and they have this tremendous impulse to blow up and to scream and to holler and to to denigrate, to go crazy in their home. Can they always get rid of that emotion? Not necessarily. It's there. It's a very powerful way. But what they could always do is they can identify its source. And when you can identify its source, you don't have to take it that seriously. You don't have to become a victim to it, a slave to it. For example, if somebody can identify that this emotion is coming from a certain part of themselves that is that is a lower part of themselves, or a more base part, a part that, de- that has a lot of, so to speak, issues and struggles, and because of those particular experiences or struggles, they are reacting in this way. So now I have to choose, do I want that aspect of myself, that wounded aspect of myself to become the king in my life? Or I can distinguish and I could say, okay, there's something in me that's causing this, but I'm going to choose to respond from my more wholesome self, from a higher self, or in the language of this Maimer, not from my Nefesh Abahamas, but from my Nefesh Alekis. So that distinction, that Hafrada itself is very powerful. That's called Hafrada, identification. Right, so I, I make distinctions between my fragmented self, or my broken self, and my wholesome self. That's exactly the point. I may have a part of me that's broken. Say a person didn't get validation ever in their life present company excluded. But say a person never got validation in their life, or not enough validation, and they struggle with it sometimes even when they're 40 or 50, they still struggle with it. When their child doesn't give them what they feel is validation, they can go crazy emotionally, right? Or their wife or somebody else. So when you're feeling such an intense emotion, you could act on it. But when you're acting on it, you are convinced that that is you, and you're being honest to yourself, you're being loyal to yourself. But what if you could simply identify and say, you know, this is coming from a wounded place that has certain needs, that has certain fears, that has certain insecurities, and it's going crazy. Because like, oh, I didn't get validation, I don't exist. I feel like I'm dying, I don't exist. What does it mean, validation? What validation is... People don't recognize you, that's good. Uh, a guy comes to me, uh, okay, it should be, I guess, the biggest sada that people have. He's been in a shul for two years, they never gave him an aliyah. And it's driving him crazy. <laughs> it's driving him crazy. What am I supposed to tell him? <laughs> Very good. You're a gabai, aren't you? No, but I'm familiar with it. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Very good. And validation could exist in hundreds of ways. The point is you get, you feel you need some recognition that you're not getting. A compliment that you're not getting. A criticism that you are getting. Somebody shoving you down, pushing you down verbally. Denigrating. Or you think it's denigrating. Not recognizing you. Not acknowledging you not lifting you up, on the contrary, always saying how 
many mistakes you make. So sometimes people respond. It touch it like it's a sore. It's like you know when you have a a sore wound and somebody touches it, you go crazy. There's a wound here. It's not what you said. It's what I heard you say or how I perceived it because I have a wound. So the question is, am I going to operate from my wounded self? I'm going to operate from a wholesome self. That's a choice a person always makes. So there are stuff going on. There is toiv and there's ra. Hafrada means to be able to identify where it comes from and to be able to say, okay, so you're there. But it doesn't mean that you have to be the king. To give a partial example, I probably gave this once. A person is driving a car. They're sitting at this, at this steering wheel, right? They're steering there's a backseat driver who sits in the back and says, take the red light, take the red light, take the red light. There's no cars coming. So you look at them and you say, you know, thank God you're not driving. Thank God you're in the back seat, And thank God I'm holding on to the steering wheel. Because if you would be by the steering wheel, it would be Sakhanas But now, what if the backseat driver is in your brain? <laughs> it's not in the back seat; it's, the, it's in the back. <laughs> and it's also telling you. So what do you do then? You have to tell that voice in you, thank God you're not at the steering wheel. I'm at the steering wheel, I hear what you say, but I'm going to keep the red light. The same is true in every person's life. Who's sitting at the steering wheel? That you have to choose. Who's sitting at the steering wheel? And you have to decide, is this voice going to define the journey of your life? I'm going to react based on this, or I'm going to talk to it and say, okay, I hear you out, but I'm not going to become a victim and say that my whole self is wounded, and therefore, this is the only way to respond. I'm going to imagine that there's a part of me that is actually very wholesome, is doing very well, because there's always a part of you that's wholesome and doing very well. A chelik mal could never be broken. Just like Hashem can't be broken, a chelik mal can't be broken. Paul Shemtev says, or Psad says, anything of essence, if you have a little bit of it, you have all of it. So a chelik mal can't be broken, it can't be tarnished, even if it didn't get what it needed, because it's essentially wholesome. So if it's essentially wholesome, so therefore imagine that that is me. That is me, that's how I'm going to respond from that place. Think, if you were completely wholesome, and you were completely comfortable with yourself, and you were completely in sync with your own essence and your own source, would you also respond from this way? You would probably feel much stronger. You wouldn't feel so wounded, you wouldn't feel so weak. So maybe the person said what they should have not said or they should have said or you misunderstood it or didn't misunderstand it. It's almost irrelevant. But how I respond, I have to choose. That's called hafrada. Identify the toy from the ra and decide which one is going to be the chief um, director who is going to hold on to the steering wheel and steer the car. But then there's something even deeper. There's not hafrade, but bitl. Not separation, but elimination. The Lashna Pasuk is, destroy them. Then there's even deeper, transforming darkness into light. This is the real function of Krishna and Davening. It says by Pinchas that he took the spear in his hand, the end of Parshas Bolak. He went to Zimri and Cosby and he stopped the Magefa. So it's brought in Svarin that shit taven the Yechudesh or Pasuk Shema Yisrael. In Kolos Ramach taven the Kriyashma, him Nikroyim Roymach. In Kriyashma you have 248 words. So that's Reish Memches. In Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad you have six words. Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. So together it's Reish Vav Memches. 
248 Ramach plus another 6, 254. That is Roimach. So in other words, Kriyashma from Shema Yisrael through the entire Krishna, which is 248 words in Krishna and the 6 words of the Yichud of Shema Yisrael together, it makes up Roimach. This is a famous Sefer from Kabbalah, it's an encyclopedia of Kabbalah by Reb Meir Papirash, it's called Ma'ir the earlier Makabalah. Why is the, what's the connection between Kriyashma and Raimach? That's even the reason why we repeat Hashem Alekechem, right? Ani Hashem Alekechem. Why does the Chazan repeat? Chazan says, And then he repeats again three words, Ani Hashem Alekechem, Emes. Or if you're davening, be Yechidus, many people repeat it on their own, if you're not with a minion. The reason is to be Mashlim, the Ramach, Tevis. Why is it so important to have Ramach? To make Raimach a spear. Why is it so important to have a spear? The answer is because the spear's function is to remove completely the life of the person, of the enemy. That's what Pinchas did. The real concept of the Kriyashma is to serve as a roimach, as a spear, to be mevatl and to be machrim, to destroy the ra in you, not just be it mafrid, but be it mevatl. A shpiz. A roimach is a shpiz. And in fact, the word hachreim, right, also has in it the letters of roimach. Roimach, cheirem, which is all the concept of hachreim, tachreimem, it's all to completely remove the life from it. It's not just separate it, but remove the life from it. Obir adavar, the explanation of this, tzarech lahavin inyan shmai Yisrael Hashem alakeinu Hashem echot. This we have to understand a little more, the meaning of the Pasuk itself that we say in Kriya Shema, from Veschana. Here, Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Pirush, Achar Shenivru Elamim Shayech Loimar Loshen Echad. The word Echad, Hashem Echad, you can only speak post. You can only say post creation. Why? Shepirushay, the Beis Yosef brings that Echad is Aleph Ches Dalit. So the Rishonim explained, the, the Poskim explained, Aleph Ches Dalit is Echad. He's one. The Ches in eight and Dalit in four. Aleph is one. Ches is eight. Dalit four. So the Bishos is from the Bishos of Erechayim. Bezayin Rikiyim Ve'eretz. He's one. The Gemara says, I'm lichte l'maylo l'matu l'dalu druches ha'olam. Ba'echad, you make him a king up and down and all the four sides of the world. So therefore, Ches is the seven heavens in the earth. And Dalit is dalu druches ha'olam, the four sides. So Echad is Achdus, but we're in the seven heavens and earth. That's Ches. And Dalit is all the four sides. V'chein l'maylo. So if there's no heaven and there's no earth and there's no Mizrach, there's no east, west, south, north, you can't say Echad. The word Echad only applies to creation. Once there's existence, you could say he's one in existence. The even if you speak on a higher level spiritually, once Hashem emanated from himself, he identified. His Midah is Shayich Loimar Lashen Echad. Then you could say the word Echad. Why? Because you have Echad Beches, you have Zion Midas, you have the seven Midas, Hagdula, Gvura, Teferes, Netzach, Hoy, that we mentioned in Vayavarech David from Divrei Hayamim. Basically, the seven Midas from Chesed through Malchus. L'cha Hashem, Hagdula, Hagvura, Teferes, Hanetzach, Hoy, Kichel, Bashman, Barz, L'cha Hashem, Hamamlocha, which is Malchus. And then you have a Dalit Chayis, Pnei Arya, you have in the Merkava, the vision of Yecheskel, which we say in the Haftar of Shuas. So he speaks about four angelic beings, four chayas hakodesh, the face of the lion, the face of the of the eagle, the face of the ox, and the face of man. 
Udmus Pnehem, Ve'iyu Miyachid Lohen Shekulum Telem Elaviz Baruch. And he unites them all because all of them are subservient to him. So that's the Echad, whether it's on a physical level. Aleph is one, and Ches is the heavens and the earth, and Dalad are the four sides, are on a spiritual level, that it refers to the seven Midas and the Dalad Chayas of the Merkava. This is all post creation. When you're speaking about his essence, pre creation or transcendent of creation, pre creation doesn't only mean in time, it means even today. When you're speaking about in a space that transcends creation, the word Echa doesn't apply. Because he's not in the realm of worlds. Echad means there's the reality of the universe from our perspective, and he is one. He pervades it, he is its master, he is its creator, he orchestrates it, he is the, he is the engine of it all. So it's all a relationship already with the universe. It's a description of Hashem in terms of the world. Echad is already a description of the world. But Lagabe Mohusevats Musa, his essence, he's Ainoi Begeder Alman, he's completely transcendent of the reality of the world. It's explained this in Sefi Yitzira, one of the earliest Swaram of Kabbalah. There's an expression there, Lifnei Echad Mata Seifer. Before Echad, what are you gonna count? Meaning His essence infinitely transcends a story. When you reach beyond Echad, what are you going to count? Or what are you going to tell? It's beyond a story. A story is something that you can tell, you can describe, you can feature. That's the first Havaya in Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. Hashem Yudkei Vavkei Hashem Eloikein Nu Daika Shafilu Hamalachim Eina Masigim Vaimrim Kadosh Vishoyalim Ayim Ekaim Kvaydei even the Malachim cannot comprehend. And they say, Kaddish. What's Kaddish? Kaddish means he's aloof. And they say, Like we say in the Davening, that Meshar of Shailam Zela Where is he? So he's Hashem Alekeinu. Zulus Neshama Sisral. Besides Jewish, the souls of a Jew. The soul of a Jew. Because the soul comes from that Shem Havaya. As we explained in the beginning about the Nefesh Alekis. Beli Hester Vehelim Klal, without any concealment, Chelek Hashem Amoy. It says his nation is a Chelek of Havaya, Yutke Vavke, that's beyond Echad. So the stages, Shema Yisrael, at the end you're going to reach Echad, which is already a description of God vis a vis the world, the way the world defines Hashem. Echad is already a description of the world. But before that is Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Yutke Vavke, Elikeinu, not even the Malachim, because even the Malachim say, I am a Kamikvayde. The neshama has a sensitivity and it detects that reality because it comes from that reality. Gemara says in Shabbos, Gemara says when they said, Hashem said, who revealed the secret to my children? Even the Malachim, this is what we call the higher secret, the Pasuk says, he places darkness as his hiding place, meaning, this is concealed even from the eyes of the Malachim. This is a soid, it's a secret. A secret to who? A secret even to the highest spiritual beings. And yet, Bonai, the soul, has a sensitivity to the secret. Now, the word Shema means to understand. Shema Yisrael doesn't only mean to hear. As the, as the Mepharshim explained, the word Shema in Lashon Kaidish means to understand. Like in Yiddish, there's Herin and there's Der Herin. Where the Pasuk says, Daber ki avdecha. Speak because I'm listening. 
What does it mean? I'm listening. I'm 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 tuning in. I'm perceiving, right? Like Yehuda says, "Yikonsu dvare baznecha." You can hear, but you don't get it. So Shema is not to hear; it's to understand, to get it. So he says, "Shema is loshna vanekshi is boyn and amaskel viit kamachshafte bechayzer." When a thoughtful person will meditate, and he'll take his thought and he'll etch it in strongly. Yitkas from the word like litkoya yase to take a peg and to knock it in. To take your mind and fix it strongly on this theme. That he let go of the highest and the lowest. To be Havaya Elikeinu, our God Mamish. That this Havaya Yutke Vovke, which even the Malachim can't grasp because they say, This is Elikeinu, ours. And the neshama came down from such a lofty space, which is mamish, a piece of Hashem, to a lowly space, to become enclosed and manifested within the biological soul, within the animal soul. Thus, yeyos, yeyos means it's, it's, it's appropriate, it's appropriate, it's suitable, that the soul and the spirit should yearn for him, should go out for him, should seek for should seek and yearn towards him as a Yagiya. So this allows a person to experience the Vahafta Shopoyal Oimid, which in Diktuk it's called a Poyal Oimid. Vahafta meaning Shatirtsishavayalakha. Vahafta, the word ahava comes from the word ava, desire. Love is essentially a form of desire. Like Bilam says, like the Pasik says, or the word in, in Hebrew avisa ava means desire. So vahafta is with an extra hey. Vahafta means it's a desire. means you should desire that havaya yutke vafke vahafta es havaya es Hashem that Hashem yutke vafke should be. Elikecha should be yours, should be yours, your God. Vagam poyel yoytze, and in Diktuk it's also a poyel yoytze, shetasa ha'ava l'mayla. Ve'ahafta is, you should desire, and it also creates an ava l'mayla, k'mesha kosa v'ahafti eschem amar Hashem. It generates a love above, v'ahafta, you cause him to love, like the Apostle says, I love you, Hashem says, v'hainu shetislaiv nafshe ba'ava aza, kirish pe'e shalheves, Meaning that his soul should become on fire with tremendous intense love like a fiery coal to become submerged in his light through the love that comes from him, through the love that comes from above him. That love creates a tremendous passion in the soul that it wants to be completely absorbed in him. As the Pesach says, Tell me the one whom I love, whom my soul loves. Hagidali sha'av anafshi. Umize yalavi agil abchinis bechalmai decha ma'oid bleak vul vetachlas avashalamaylamidas. Which then allows a person to reach bechalmai decha, which means ma'oid, ma'oid very, your veriness, which represents infinity, a love that's even behind, it's even higher than what we would call. We would call what we would call uh, das.
Okay, he's in the middle here of a long meditation, but let me just bring out one point to explain one Nakudah, the Kitzer. When you say Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Achad, there's two parts of the Pasuk. There's the beginning and then there's the end. L'cha'ira, as the Mepharshim say, the Pasuk has redundancies in it. Shema Yisrael, you could say Hashem Echad, Hashem is one. Hashem Alekeinu, the God that is our God, Hashem Echad. So three times you say Hashem, Shema Yisrael Hashem, Alekeinu, Hashem Echad. You could say Shema Yisrael Hashem Echad, Hashem Alekeinu Echad. Also work. So Rashi has a pshat in verse Chan Malpi pshat Shema Yisrael. That essentially every time you're saying Shema Yisrael, you're talking about Mashiach. Right? You know the Rashi in verse Chanan, yeah. It's an interesting Rashi. Rashi says Alpi pshat Shema Yisrael Hashem Eleikenu, the God that is today our God. When Mashiach comes, Hashem Echad, He will be the one God for the entire universe. So essentially, according to Rashi in Chumash. Every time a Jew says Shema Yisrael, he's basically becoming mindful of the idea of the Geula, the consciousness of Geula. That Hashem, who is Aleikeinu, one day is going to be, not now, but one day is Hashem Echad, as the Buzz says, Az Epech Alamim Safabrura, Likr Kulam B'Shem Hashem, La'avdei Kulam Shechem Echad. There's going to be oneness in the whole universe. That's how Rashi says, Pashat Pshat. That the Pasuk is talking about the Geula. And that's the Chi of Krishna. It's an interesting thing. Here, he's going one step further. On a, on a spiritual level. There's two Nekudas. There's Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu. And then there's the Nekudah of Hashem Echad. Hashem Echad is already describing Hashem vis-a-vis creation. Or to put it in a Yeshiva Shaloshan, Hashem Echad is a Din in the Bria. It's a gather in the Bria. It's describing how the world would describe the oneness of God from its perspective. From its perspective, it exists. And therefore, how does it describe the oneness of Hashem? Aleph, Ches, Dalit, as he said, Ches, Zion, Rikim. And it says that's what you have to have, Kavana. That he's one in the universe. In other words, you look at the world, and the world is a fragmented place, and you say, no, even though it looks fragmented, the truth is it's Echad. And that's one of the reasons we cover our eyes by Shema Yisrael. Why do you cover your eyes? You have to have Kavana. So the Pashtos, it's because Kavana. When you close your eyes, less distractions. But there's a deeper component in it. And that is that sometimes you acknowledge that when you open your eyes, in other words, when you look at things superficially, just with your eyes, it doesn't. you don't see Echad. You see terrible fragmentation. One person from another person, one nation from another nation, a person himself is completely fragmented and split and full of contrasts and paradoxes. So you have to close your eyes, meaning you have to use your mind's eye rather than your physical eye. Because if you only look with Fleshika Egan, with Enayim Psarim, then you say it's not Echot. You have to go into a deeper space in order to be able to recognize in the world that it's Echot. Now the challenge is that even when you take your hands off your eyes, you should still be able to see it. But that's describing God in terms of creation, in terms of existence. How existence speaks about Hashem as the battery of the world, the engine of the world, the oneness of the world. But there's something even deeper. And that's only the Neshama gets. And that's Shema Yisrael. Yisrael. And like Rashi Taka says, Hashem Echot is the whole world. Shema Yisrael, before we get to Echot, Hashem Alekeinu. 
Hashem alekeinu is even not the not the world, not even the malachim. The neshama is a chelik alekami mal, so the neshama is sensitive. This is basically what I said yesterday. That's what he's saying. The neshama is sensitive to the reality of God that completely transcends creation. Why? Because that's where it comes from. What are the practical ramifications of this? Something very profound. And that is, I'm going to say this very, I'll say it briefly and succinctly. When you define Hashem, you could speak about Hashem in terms of the cosmic God or the transcendental God. The cosmic God means God in terms of the cosmos. He is the battery of the cosmos, the battery of the world. That's Echot. Hashem Elokeinu, you're not talking about the cosmic God. You're talking about the transcendent God. It's one, it's really one. But in our, in our mind, we distinguish between the two. What do we mean transcendent? Soiv of Kalalman and beyond. It's not even Begeder Alman. He's not defined by having control over the seven heavens and the, the, land, the earth and Dalad Ruchas That's already restricted in terms of the finite energy of the world. Hashem is Eine Begeder Alman, completely beyond. That's where the soul comes from. So therefore the soul cannot even find fulfillment in living a good, meaningful life in terms of connecting to Hashem as the cosmic God, as Echad. Because the Neshama is a chelik It's rooted in transcendence, in infinity. Even the Malachim are not so sensitive like the soul. And yet this soul, which is rooted in ultimate transcendence, goes down to the lowest place where the Malach can't go down. Fakert, if the Malach comes down, it gets ruined. The end of Parshas Bereshis, the Malachim came down, they became Nephilim. They had a Nephilim. They became more corrupt than everybody else. Why? Because they were Malachim. <laughs> you take an angel and you send him to Las Vegas, what's going to happen? <laughs> you take a Yeshiva Bach who's been in, in, in Dalit Amas of Yerushalayim, you throw him into a, kalta, a hot mikvah, into a cold bath. You can't do it. Only a Neshama can do it. Because a Neshama is higher than a Malach. Because a Neshama is higher than a Malach, therefore the Neshama could reveal the unity even in the lowest place, even in the Nefesh Bahamas. Anybody else but a Neshama would not be able to do it. A Malach would fall apart completely. The Neshama is rooted in a place completely transcendent. Hashem Alekeinu. Therefore the Neshama could go down to the lowest place and reveal the unity over there. So for the Neshama... It's insufficient to connect just to spirituality through the cosmos. That's very deep. But the Neshama needs Hashem Eloikeinu, the Hashem that's completely beyond the cosmos. That's where Torah Mitzvah comes in. As I'll continue explaining. So, the Neshama is a chelik elekamimal, the Shema Yisrael, Hashem Eloikeinu, Hashem Echad, the Hashem Aleikeinu is that which the Neshama detects, that which the Neshama experiences, which even the Malachim don't. The Malachim say, But the Neshama, Shema, the Neshama senses it, the Neshama experiences it, because the Neshama comes from that space. Chelek Hashem Amoy, the Nefesh Alekis, is directly from Hashem without any intermediaries, so therefore there's Hashem Aleikeinu, that the Neshama is sensitive, the Neshama leptzich up in Bittl, the Neshama... The Neshama becomes alive when it melts away in the transcendent, all-pervading reality of Hashem that completely transcends the world. Anything else ultimately doesn't speak to the ultimate Neshama. 
Your type is this. This is very, very spiritually uh, sensitive to talk about, you know, such nuanced, uh, such nuanced uh, sensitivities of a soul. You would think that a soul, you say, is looking for ruchnias. He says he's not just looking for ruchnias. He's looking for the Hashem Alekeinu that's even beyond Hashem Echad. Because Hashem Echad is already defining Hashem's presence vis-a-vis the world. It's the way a spiritual man of the universe, a spiritual creature of the universe explains God. God as the battery, the engine, as the one who grants meaning to life. But the Neshama, that is not satisfied with that. The Neshama looks for the Hashem Aleikeinu, the Hashem which is beyond Echad, beyond the Zion Rikim and the Eretz, beyond the Dalad Ruches the Lifnei Echad Ma to Seifer, to get beyond Echad, there's something higher than Echad. Because Echad is ultimately a description of Hashem in terms of the universe. The Lifnei Echad Ma to Seifer, it's beyond, beyond the story, it's not Begeder Alm, and this is where the Neshama ultimately comes to life. It's its ultimate identity, because that's what a neshama is. A neshama is essentially made up of uh, of that transcendent reality. V'zeo sha'amar, this is the meaning of the Pasuk. You see V'zeo sha'amar. It's Lamed Ches, column 2. Column 2. Or 75, if you wish. You don't see it? The line starts... I don't know, it's like maybe 15, 20 lines from the, from the top. You see, This is the meaning of a Pasuk in Eoiv. The Pasuk says in Eoiv, He reveals depths. There's a say from Megala Amukas taken from this Pasuk. He reveals depths from amidst the darkness, and brings to light the shadow of death. So it's very poetic words in Eoiv, but he touches here his explanation on a spiritual from a spiritual perspective. Pirush. By the person revealing in his heart Amukah's depths from the darkness, meaning he excavates the Pchina of Havaya Lekena, which we call darkness. And the reason we call darkness is not because it's lower than light, because it's higher than light, because it's concealed even from the eyes of the angels. It's the Pchina of when the Pasuk says, Yoshes Choshech Sisra, like it says in Tehillim, that his darkness, his hiding place is Choshech. In other words, it's a darkness that's beyond light because it's not seen, it's not experienced by creation. So when a Jew reveals that oymek in his heart, so the darkness, the other type of darkness, is transformed into light. The ra comes to light. The ra gets transformed into toif. This realization of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, is the roimach, it's the spear that not only distinguishes between the Tov and the Ra, but actually transforms it, it eliminates it by transformation. In the first generation, 
where the Ra was not as powerful and mixed in, they had only Kriyashma, and that was enough to be Mavata Lira. But there was only Kriyashma. Meaning, when he says Doris Rishonim, here he means before the Anshek Nasus So, what did the morning davening consist of? There was no davening. What was davening like in the desert? What was davening like during the whole first Beis Amikdash? Till the second Beis Amikdash, when the Anshek Nasus instituted the Nusach of Shemayna Esther that we have, the Nusach Atfilah, three times a day. They gave it three times, twice or three times, I mean, three times a day, Shachs Menchemayna and Shemayna Esther, and they made all the brachas. But before that, there were no brachas. So well, Krishna was always a mitzvah. So basically, well, a Jew woke up in the morning and he said Shema. He said, and even if he davened, because tefillah is a mitzvah, sesim in Atayrah, at least according to many paiskim, Shittas Rambam, at least, what is it? Not the Nusach of tefillah. Huh? Yeah, yeah, in, in, in another maimim, in Chukas. But he could daven for 10 seconds. He could daven for 10 hours, but he could daven for 20, for 10, for 20 seconds. You daven what you wanted. So he says, Krishna was enough. But not, 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 it's not like that today, meaning in the heels of Mashiach, as the generations dig- progress further and further throughout history. That there is brokenness that becomes very strong. Who built the Efshalavatlan Mikolba Kobe Kriyashma Lavada? Kriyashma on its own will not do the bitl, therefore Lazoy's Tikrushmana Esra Brachis. Therefore the Chazal, the Anshik Nasadela Masak and eighteen blessings to be said after Kriyashma in the morning. The word Baruch, which repeats itself eighteen times in Shmana Esra, or today actually nineteen times, because we have nineteen brachas. The word Baruch means blessed, but really the source of the word Baruch is in Mishnayis, is an expression, Hamavrech Esagefen, if you graft a vineyard, grafting, meaning you take, say, a branch of a tree, and you graft it, you pull it, and you draw it into another location in the earth. In, he, in modern Hebrew we have something, uh, not only modern, it's called a brecha. How do you say a pool? Brecha is a pool. Why? Basically it pulls water in from the source, whether it's a it's a river, a lake, a wellspring, a faucet, but it, it, it gathers the water together. So when it says Baruch, Baruch actually means not blessed. Baruch means to draw forth, to bring forth, to bring down, to create a flow. That's what Baruch is. Baruch is Lashon Hamshach. So when we say Baruch, it's a flow and a drawing forth, communication. Shonam of Akshim, we're asking, so you're asking Baruch Atah Hashem that the Ata should come down and become Hashem. So Baruch Atah Hashem Magen Avram, Baruch Atah Hashem Makela Kadosh, or all the brachas, Chayin Hadas, etc. Right? So B'Shuva, it's all Baruch Atah Hashem. Baruch, that's what he says. Baruch is Lashon Ashpa that you're asking that the Ata should be able to come down in a way that I could speak about it l'noichach. Noichach means second person. Somebody in front of me, I say you, not he. Who is third person? Atta is second person. So when I say Atta, it's something that's fully present. So he's saying, Baruch, Atta, Hashem, that the Yutke Vavke should be brought down, that it should become Atta, something that I could say you. In other words, it's immediate, it's imminent, it's intimate. 
It should be in us. It should be ata. You, in other words, it should be revealed in my heart. And thus the Ra will be nullified like the nullification of darkness in the presence of light. When you come to the brach of Slachlanu, Kichatanu, Ein Pirushem Ipne Yiras Ha'Einish, She Yislachlanu, Bishvil Shlayanish, Son of Chasvashalim. The Slachlanu of Inu Kichatanu doesn't mean that he's afraid of punishment. You should forgive me because I don't want you should punish me. That's the Vard. That's not what he's asking for. Ach Pirushai. It's like a person asking from his friend forgiveness because he wants to be close to him. He wants that the same desire and passion he had for him before should not be ruined by what he did. That's what In other words, there's two ways of touching the bracha, huh? No, no, it's from one extreme to another extreme. I'll explain to you the difference. What is Yira? What is Yira? When you say fear, what is Yira Hashem? What does it mean, Yira Hashem? Your fear of Hashem. What do you fear? How do you touch? Fear was a bad word. Huh? Fear didn't work. Right, so... So, in other, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of your... Uh, well, I don't know. I was thinking of asking, are you afraid of your mother? Are you afraid of your father? Are you afraid of your wife? And then I realized, yeah, a lot of people are very afraid of their wife and their, their father, their mother. Now, what are you afraid of? You know, in school, right, you were afraid to be sent to the principal's office. Why were you afraid? What were you afraid of? You were afraid of because uh, he's tough, right? And uh, he may not have your back. And he won't forego anything. And he won't forgive. And... Uh, He's going to punish you or expel you or penalize you. Generally, what am I afraid of? Right? I'm afraid to go into this conversation. I'm afraid to tell my boss. I'm afraid to tell my wife. I'm a, why? What are you afraid of? You're afraid of the consequences. What, why should you be afraid? You're not afraid to tell yourself. You're afraid to tell somebody who may respond to it very differently than you. But in this space where there's complete oneness, that's his question, what's the fierce? So some people, that's what they think of Hashem as well. Be afraid because he doesn't have your back. He's actually looking down your back and trying to see what the mistakes are. And he's going to see the mistakes and he's not going to forgive and he's going to get you back for them. So therefore you're afraid. You have what to be afraid of and you have who to be afraid of. He has the power and he's not interested in doing anything else but, you know, exacting payment for what is owed to him. So that's one type of yira. That's what we call yira sa'inish. I'm afraid of punishment. So when I come to him and I say, What am I saying? Please, I know I did something wrong, but I'm turning to your kindness and I'm saying you could forgive me and not punish me. I'm afraid you're going to punish me, so please forgive me for what I did and cleanse it, and let's let's uh, let's start over again. Let's turn a new page and start over this relationship. That's one one type of yira. This is what's called yira sa'inish that shaloyanish chas v'shalom. I don't want to be punished, so I come to you and I say, okay, I did this and this. Hashamnu bagadnu gazalnu. Please forgive me and let's uh, let's call it quits. That's one ayf.
But he's saying the MS is that in the middle of Shemona Asra, you're already after davening where there is a type of unity that this type of year actually is not what the core of the relationship is. So what is the year? What is the year? He says it's like when you have a friend and what you want is Yizgalar Ritzoyinayelav. To put it maybe in these words, the year is coming, I'm afraid to ruin such a beautiful relationship. The relationship is so precious, I don't want to ruin it. That's the Nekudah. I know that you love me, and you love me unconditionally, and you have my back maybe even more, not maybe, you have my back more than I have my back. And you're not judging me and denigrate me, and I'm afraid of what you're going to say and what you're going to do to me. You know what I'm bothered by? I'm bothered by that such a beautiful relationship has been ruined, has been affected, has been destroyed. And I want to build it up. I want that the rutsin that we have to each other, the will, the passion that we have to each other, should remain completely intact, even though there's room to call it quits and to just to sever the relationship. So what am I afraid? I'm afraid of ruining such a precious bond. You have such a close friend, and you're so close, you're going to allow this to get in the way. That's what I'm afraid of. Not because you're bad, or you're impulsive, or you're not going to care for me, or you're going to try to get me back, or vengeance. There's something much deeper. What I'm afraid is, I'm afraid that you're going to forgive me. That's what I'm afraid of. The opposite. <laughs> I'm afraid that you're going to forgive me, and you're going to say, okay, I forgive you, now get out of my life. That's what I'm afraid of. In other words, that you're going to detach from me. You're going to say, okay, I forgive you. There was a Jew, his name was Simon Wiesenthal. From the... Simon, he made the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Hunting Nazis. Hunting Nazis. He passed away a few years ago. Shimon Wiesenthal. So he, I once read, he told a story that when he was in the DP camps after liberation, after he came out of the death camps, so he was in one of the DP camps, and he, he got some money. There was a Jew who asked him if he could borrow from him $10, which was a very nice sum of money then people who had nothing, and he said that he's supposed to get a package in a week from the U.S., and he's going to get the money, and he's going to pay him back. He gave him the $10. A week later, he didn't get it back. Two weeks later, three weeks later, a month, two months. And the Jew always had excuses. Tomorrow, after tomorrow, before Shalosh after Shalosh almost got it. I, it came, it almost came, it went back. You know, it's called Jewish excuses. Around a year later... <laughs> The Jew comes over to him and he says that he's leaving a few days to America and here's the money. He gives him back the money. So Simon Wiesenthal tells him, you know, I'm not taking the money. He says, why? He says, $10 is not worth me changing my opinion of you. I'm not going to say that Simon Wiesenthal was right, but the vart I like. You know what I mean? Sometimes forgiveness, that's what I'm afraid of. You know, fine, take the money. I know who you are. I'm not even going to take your money. I don't want this to be. So this pshat is punk farkat. Don't just forgive me, you know. So you're not going to punish me. I want the relationship should be the same relationship. 
Sometimes two friends are best friends and then somebody does something. He forgives him, but it's never the same. The trust is not there. The trust has been breached. So the slach lana of Inuki Chatanu is that the Nesham is Mamesh Achelik Elekamimah. The dveikas of a soul with Hashem is the deepest type of dveikas possible. And it's a type of dveikas that transcends all of the worlds. It's a dveikas with Hashem's essence. Lifnei echad, higher than Hashem echad. This is Hashem alekeinu, it's almost our secret. It's our God, it's Hashem alekeinu, it's beyond Hashem echad. Not because the world is not a good place, but because the world can only capture the divinity that flows through the universe. It can't capture Hashem alekeinu. And that's what the Jew experiences by Shema. So when the Ra was less entrenched, that was enough to have a spear and to be mevatel, the Ra of the Nefesh of Bahamas, to transform it. Megala amukos mini choshech. Your Megala, that oimek from yourself, the Ra ultimately becomes transformed. Today there's a need for more in davening, including Hashem. Where the Hashem becomes Atta, Atta you, even the Slach Lanu, why does he hop on Slach Lanu? Because here you may look at a bracha that seems like there's a distance. Forgive me because I sinned. He says, No, what you're looking for is Slach Lanu of I'm not afraid that you're going to punish me. And now you're not going to punish me. Now <laughs> have a good day, I'm off the hook. You know, the principal said, Okay, I'm not going to punish you, I'm off the hook. No, I don't want to be off the hook. I want to always. I want to always be connected. So what I want is that the rotsin should not be concealed from me. The passion should not be concealed. How That's what he says. By sinning, by sinning you... Connected. You don't want to ruin such a beautiful relationship. It's well, too... How do you ruin it? How do you ruin it, you ruin it by, by... By, you know, by... By betraying. By betraying the relationship. By... Uh, by violating the relationship. You know, there was a certain trust. There's a certain trust. You violate the relationship. Are you, are you saying that the fear... Yeah. Uh, is it the same? Yes. Yeah. In other words, the relationship, you're right. The relationship is unconditional. It's going to remain intact. But I won't be able to feel it and breathe it. It won't be the same. The relationship will always be there. That I cannot tarnish. The neshama is not going to become not a chelik ma, but I won't be able to breathe it. I won't be able to feel it, and that's why sensitive people—they're sensitive to dvarim hasurim, not because of einish, not because of a barbecue they're going to burn in. It was much deeper than that. Much more. It was much less selfish. But a person says, a person says he's not going to betray his spouse because she might catch him. And the consequences will be dire. Okay. I guess it's better than sinning. <laughs> Any calculation that's holding you back from wrong behavior is good. Even if you believe that the turtle is going to catch you. If it's holding you back from sin, Zalzayim. It's brought in Sifre Musr that Lishma is by mitzvahs, not by Avedas. In other words, in other words, even if you're stopping an Aveda because Shaloi Lishma, Zalzayim Azai. Whatever the reason, you're not eating the poison, you're not eating it is good. You have crazy cheshbonus. But everybody understands that the marriage needs a little help. The relationship is so precious that how could I do it? I'm embarrassed of doing it. Let's say she doesn't catch me. Let's say nobody catches me. So, okay, God is going to catch you, right? Somebody's there, the FBI, Google. 
Google will catch you. Google is there anyway. There's no, you can't go away from Google. It's Einoid Mulvadam. Or at least in their mission statement, right? So Google. Listen, it's better than nothing. Yerushalayim is a good thing if it's going to stop you from, 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 from you know, getting, getting, getting into a mess. So I'm But there's something much deeper. I don't want to, I don't want, I can't break such a beautiful relationship. Even if she doesn't find out. It's too precious to me to violate. It's too, it's too deep. It's too powerful. It's too real. I don't, I'm not going to betray you. That's what I'm afraid of. That's not selfish. That's very subtle. It's sensitive. It's transcendent. He says, that's the slach lono v'nekichatano. I want to be ata. I should always be able to be with you. And if that doesn't happen, so let's take, for example, lying, right? There's people who are naturally inclined to lie. They always do it. And let's face it, in certain societies, it's almost better than saying the truth. People grow up almost without thinking you lie. You have to think if you should say the truth. So people know you're not supposed to lie, but then there's other types of lies, you know, white lies, small lies, and so forth. So when a person knows about this achdos, they stay away from all of these things very far. Why? It's not because somebody will catch you. White lies, people don't catch you, because everyone knows everyone is lying. It's not like a big deal. Why are you late? Oh, I'm not feeling well. Shine. Why didn't you come yesterday? I had to run somewhere. I'm stuck in traffic. Whatever. Traffic is always a good excuse for shake construction, right? You can always say 45 minutes on first night. And sometimes you'll be right. But the vart is, when somebody is, rec- is cognizant of the achdus that they have, the neshama has with the chelik alakami mal, even slight subtle betrayals become very, very painful for them. Because even a little distortion of morality or teda what it does is, you can't look God in the eyes anymore. You know when you betray me, you can't look me in the eyes anymore. And you know it, nobody else knows it. You know it and I know it. I forgave you, but that's the problem. I forgave you, that's the problem. I forgave you, but ultimately it's not the same. I forgave you. So that's what he's asking. I want to be able to be Baruch Atah Hashem. You should always be able to look the Rebbein Shalom in the eyes. I mean metaphorically speaking, of course. You should be able to always have that clarity, that transparency, that we're completely intimate. There's no secrets. There's no betrayal whatsoever. Why? Because I'm completely one with myself. I'm completely at peace with myself. That's a different type of year. That's a year, not because you're going to punish me. Even if I know you're not going to punish me. I'm not looking to get over the hook that you should forgive me. What I'm looking for is that the relationship should remain as intact and as strong as ever. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.